0: Hey, it's Broken Office Chair, a podcast produced by Alternatives. Broken Office Chair is hosted by Alternatives Executive Director Bessie Alcantara. Bessie is a Chicago native, first generation Salvadoran Mexican American, who's passionate about dismantling systemic racism. In each episode, Bessie will be joined by her friends and colleagues who are ready to speak candidly about their experiences as people of color in their various professions. In the episodes, they'll address topics such as issues in the nonprofit sector, racial equity, DEI in practice, and much, much more. So stay tuned. If you're enjoying this episode, we have a few upcoming events that will be perfect for you. Join Alternatives and Broken Office Chair on October 5th at Chicago United for Equity for our second Cocktails and Complicity event. Guest speakers Ayoka Samuels and Leslie Honore from Broken Office Chair Season 1 will join Bessie in discussing the complex dynamics that perpetuate inequality in the nonprofit sector, such as being a woman of color in nonprofit leadership, the nonprofit industrial complex, the intersection of capitalism and philanthropy, and much more. Come enjoy a cocktail, network with nonprofit friends, and engage in these much needed conversations. The link to RSVP will be in the show's notes. Have you been personally impacted by a toxic nonprofit? Do you have a nonprofit horror story that you're dying to share? We're right here with you. Join alternatives for an in-person open mic night, where nonprofit friends can gather and share horror stories about navigating the nonprofit industrial complex. Come prepared with your favorite story, poem, or song about the terrors of funder site visits, annual appeals, audits, and more. We invite you to share a drink with colleagues and revel in the joys of nonprofit life. The link to RSVP will be in the show notes. All right, so today
1: I am joined by Angela Mungia, Executive Director of AMP. Thanks for joining me.
2: Thank you.
1: So to kick it off, you have, as we talked about, a very interesting perspective as a founding ED. <laughs> yeah. Tell us how you got into that line of work.
2: Yeah, um, so I, uh, I've been doing nonprofit work for... I used to say, okay, until like a couple of months ago, I used to say 15 years, but then I realized that I've been saying that for five years past the 15-year <laughs> the mark, and I'm like, oh my God, it's been like 20 years, right? So I've been in the nonprofit field for like 20 years, started as like even like a teenager, right? Um, and I've worked at organizations that are like super small, volunteer-led, right? Grassroots to like national large organizations. Um, and so I guess like how I ended up at Amp, right, is that over the years and in different roles, I've just kind of accumulated, like, the, like, as an employee. Like, what are the things that work? What are the things that don't work? And I felt like what was steady across my experience was that smaller, or large organization, like, when it comes down to, like, building internal capacity, like, no one does it. Or there's not, like, a huge emphasis or priority on it, right? It's just, like, we always, like, make sure, and obviously when I say always, I'm making a generalization. Not right. everybody does this. But, like, in my experience, it was it was like, oh, we are really hyper-focused on building, like, the strongest of the strongest program, whatever the program is, whether it's, like, an organizing thing, whether it's youth development work. My background is primarily in youth development. Um, and so a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of staff, a lot of capacity, a lot of dollars into building out strong programming but then when it's about like building staff capacity at large or like professional development or like you know does the admin team have three people and programming is 25 people like to me I started to notice that regardless of the size of the organization like capacity building and like building internal structure and system was always the thing that like got left behind in the name of building out this external facing you know product ultimately so when um so when amped you know put out this job des- or point the way put, put out the job description a friend of mine sent in and it was like I think you should do this and i had done a previous like founding ed situation at a national organization it did not work out not my fault right the uh-huh. whole organization kind of like collapsed um and i felt really like uh traumatized by that ex- experience it was my first time and i was like okay i think you know, I think I have the expertise, I think I have the experience. I to to told you I'm this. still scared of a oh, yeah. founding ED
1: position, yeah. and I've done ED positions before.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so because it's like, it's a lot, it's a lot yeah. of work. And so I like mustered up the courage to be able to do it, and then the whole thing fell apart, right? And so it took me a little bit of time. I took like six months off, and I was just mm-hmm. like, I'm just gonna hang out at home, I'm gonna go to the beach, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna cry, I'm gonna do all the things, right? <laughs> um, so by the time this new opportunity came around, I was like, okay, like I read through it. I, I ultimately, what came back to me was like, all all the things I just shared right and it it's like yeah like when it comes to capacity building you know there isn't a lot available for organizations and on top of that when you bring it down even further and you're talking specifically about organizations that are led by people of color it's even less so right and I just felt very compelled um I was like yeah I think I could do this and, and I feel very strongly about it like given kind of my experience along the way um so I, yeah, so I was like, all right, let's do it. Um, and it's been, it's been fantastic. I mean, it is hard. And, and, and I was thinking last night about our conversation about mm-hmm. the founding ED versus, like, the established organization. Mm-hmm. And what I came to, right, was that as a founding ED, I think there's a level of flexibility and creativity that you have to, like, make it your own. Right? Mm-hmm. It's just, like, coming in Amped was an idea. It was an assortment of really good researched ideas, right? Like there were definitely suggestions um, and recommendations that came from the nonprofit sector about like what this organization should look like. But ultimately, like you gotta figure everything out, right? As uh-huh. an ED, like you gotta figure out like your staffing, what the program is gonna actually look like, you know, how many people is it gonna serve? Are you gonna do grants? Who's gonna administer those grants? You know, like uh what are the policies that you have to put into place, you know. There's just so many things, and and I think for for me, I found excitement in the possibility of doing that because I remember being like, well, there are policies that as an employee, I was like really like, yeah, that's awesome. And then there were a lot of them, probably most of them, that I was like, this is terrible. Like, this is not a human centered approach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it was like this is an opportunity for me to bring in not only my like expertise, but also like this idea of a human centered approach to nonprofit work that I just hadn't seen done in the way that I knew like I could try to figure out.
1: So it's funny because I, I told you that like alternatives was a bit like of a turnaround situation when I came on board. And so one of the uh, a couple of things that happened was we were going through a strategic planning process. So we actually ended up uh, cutting one of our programs because we decided we were not good mm-hmm. at it. Um, and we went in a direction that was not my initial instinct. But another thing that happened was I had almost complete turnover of my staff. Um, I think that three people out of like a 20-person leadership team were la- wow. was left afterwards and for me, I was like, okay, cool. Like, everybody was like, you're not freaking out. I was like, no, this is opportunity because I could, that's when I restructured and moved yeah. things around and stuff like that. But kind of what I said to you, I still felt like I had the safety of a 50 year reputation. Yeah. And something that already, like, because we kept our behavioral health programs and our RJ programs. So I was like, okay, I, can, I have something to hold on to as opposed to creating something. And a lot of our programming today are new. Um, things that folks came up with along the way, Mm -hmm. but we still had a foundation. And I think that's why I'm so scared of uh, the founding ED position, because you're building your foundation as opposed to like building upon something that somebody already set up for you.
2: Yeah. Well, what I will say about AMP that's a little bit different, right, Um, because I didn't just it wasn't my idea. Right. Right. So let's start there. Amped was not my idea. So, like, it started from research that was done, put together by a handful of funders, right, um, who got together, wanted to understand what does capacity building look like for um, the South and the West Side, specifically. Mm-hmm. I think where the opportunity came from me is that, you know, I was uh, interviewing for the role at the start of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I applied for the role, had gotten through most of the interviews, and then, and then all of a sudden, it was like, we're on lockdown.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so my final interview was actually, like, at the beginning of March, right? So it was like, everything is, like, on fire, you know? And what I really... I don't know why I did this. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know why <laughs> I did this. Um, I wish I had some eloquent answer for why I did this. I, maybe it's just a personality thing, right? But I remember being in my in my final interview with, with some of the board members, and I started crying. And I was like, I don't... Like, this is not the thing that I do. I sure as hell don't cry at interviews or in, like, public spaces, mm-hmm. right? I barely cry in my personal life. Shout out to my therapist. But <laughs> I started crying in my interview, and I was like, listen, like, there is an opportunity here to, like, do something big. Like, the world is on fire. You know, like, people are up in arms. Like, there are people of color who are being killed. Like, this, this is, like, this is real, right? This is real. Like, this is not a job for me. Like, this is my reality. Like, I have a son. Like, this is real, Right. And I said to them like if you want to give me this job I am committed to doing this only if we put race at the forefront Mm -hmm. it has to be an anti-racist framing because if it doesn't it's just another capacity building program it's Mm -hmm. just another capacity building idea you know capacity building exists it's it's there there are plenty of organizations who do it right but like what's the difference here and if we're focusing on you know this research that outlined that this you know disenfranchisement of communities of color and like talking about inequities here like we have to do right by that we can't leave that out of the conversation and so like if you want me to do this job like here's me saying this at my final interview I don't have a job right? (laughs) so so, like I kind of need this right but if you want me to do this like I, I have to do it in this way and they were like all right, and they thanked me for my time and I hung up you know my little zoom call and I was like fuck I'm not gonna get this job I was like, all right, well, we're on lockdown, I got savings, let me go tell my partner that I just, like, completely screwed this one up, right? I got emotional during my meeting. And then they called me and they were like, yeah, it's you. And so to me, I was just like, all right, well, I put my cards on the table, right? I said, like, if you want me to do this, like, I'm coming in here and I'm disrupting. I'm -hmm. disrupting this idea that funders had. And I'm going to do it my way. And I'm going to do it in collaboration with other communities of color. And I'm going to do it with us at the forefront as people of color, right? I'm going to do it with the idea that my accountability is not to funders. My accountability is to people who look like me, who live in my community, who do the work the way that I do. You know, like, that's my accountability. And I say that still to, our, to, to my board. I'm just like, I'm not accountable to XYZ Foundation. I'm accountable to these folks, because those are my colleagues. Those Mm -hmm. are my people. Right. Um, And I think that that's really like for me, had I come into something that was established, it would be a little bit harder to do that. I mean, you have. Right. And so like I'm like, I have the utmost respect for you being able to do that because shifting people change management is hard. But I think
1: what's interesting about my story and I think there's overlapping yours is the board buy in. Because the board decided, right, that's that's our yeah. boss, right? And I'm putting yeah. quotation marks in it. Yeah, our boss. Our boss, right? My board always argues that they're more of a partner, but ultimately they could hire, they fire, hire and fire the ED, right? Yeah. And so one of the moments for me, and I came into Alternatives, I was interviewing the summer of 2018. And so I feel like when the pandemic happened, a shift happened in what funders were able to listen to, that they were not willing to listen to a few years before that, right? And so um, a defining moment, I was not interested in this job initially, because I was like another youth development job. Like, it's not even why I went into social work. I just kind of fell into it. You're a
2: social worker I'm a social worker by training, right?
1: And so I went into social work because I wanted to do like the hard stuff, like, Whatever, Uh whatever that means. Joke's on you. (laughs) And I was like, youth development feels good to folks. And I came from organizations that really played up how youth development feels good. And so they didn't feel like the quote unquote hard stuff stuff to me. Also in Chicago, I can realize how untrue of a statement that really is now. But um, there was, I was doing a phone screening and I was actually traveling. So I had taken a, I've never taken time off in my life. I went straight to college. I worked through college, et cetera. And so I had decided to take this year off and travel the world. And so I started July 2017 and I ended September 2018. So in that time, I did a phone interview with Alternatives and they knew this is what I was doing. And uh, so I took the call from London. And I remember not really preparing for it and just like jumping on it. I was at a friend's house. And um, at the end, I asked something along the lines of, I can't remember the exact question, but like something around like are agency operations working the way that you would like to see them or is the agency where you would like to see it at. And one of my board members who was on the call jumped in an older white man. I love him to death um, and was like, no, we have too many white people. And like literally, that's what he opened up with and went into like really passionately about like the community and how we have to represent the community that we served and how that's a priority for the organization. And I think that gave me enough interest because I had never heard a board acknowledge that before. Mm, yeah. And so I was like, there's they're willing to have a conversation that I haven't had before. And I was like, I think that's important. And so like I came on board and there were larger issues than just diversity, but it was um, there were it, one of the things, for example, that I found is that there was a huge discrepancy between what white folks were paid and what black and brown folks mm-hmm. were paid. But it had to do a lot with like credentials and who was who was in leadership positions because it was an, a white executive team, and so those positions are going to skew higher. Yeah. And then who was credentialed and who wasn't? Because my all of my therapists, which tend to be higher paid positions, mm-hmm. were white. And so like these different things started happening and I was talking to my board about it and they were very openly having the conversation. And so when everything basically shit, shit hit the fan, like I didn't expect everybody to just leave. Yeah. Um, it one of the things that kept me there was how willing the board was to have these difficult conversations. Yeah. And so we're such a different organization today than what we were in 2018 because the board, the executive team, the program staff, our funders, our partners, everybody was so willing to have a different conversation that like a lot of what we do is training on anti-racism and talking to folks about that. And I I'm doing, um, at the social work conference, uh, NASW later on this fall, we're doing a workshop on workplace wellness, anti-racism as workplace wellness. Mm. And so like it, yes, we were able to pivot it, but it, it, All the right ingredients needed to be there at the right time. I also joke about the fact that I showed up 10 minutes late to my interview, (laughs) and they still took me after that. So I think they knew what they were getting. And I talked about work-life balance and how important it was for me to be able to travel and all these different things. And at the time, I didn't connect it to burnout in the same way I would connect it to today. Mm -hmm. But like, they were willing to accommodate all these things that, up until that point, I'd been taught were wrong to Mm -hmm. talk about.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why I went so hard in my interview, quite honestly, Mm -hmm. because I was just like, okay, like, am I going to just fall in line with, like, all the things that I've been taught, and maybe not, like, directly taught, right, but Mm -hmm. indirectly taught about, like, what it means to, like, be a leader at an organization, right? Like, what does it mean to lead the organization, to make decisions? How do you show up? What do you look like? How do you talk? What do you dress like? Like, all the things, right? And, you know, I think I put my cards on the table with the board, like, one, because, you know, I got into the interview, and I was just like, are we not going to talk about what's happening right now? Right. Like, this is, like, what? You know? And so I felt like I, I just couldn't, I, cu- I couldn't hold it in, you know? And also, like, I, you know, I often, I have, I'm, I'm, an, I'm the oldest child, right? So I talk to myself quite frequently. And so <laughs> I was, like, having a conversation with myself ahead of time anyway, and I was just like, you know, I've made a commitment to myself that any role that I take, Um, be it amped or any any role that comes after the fact, like I have to be my authentic self. Mm -hmm. And I have to have integrity um, for myself. Um, And I'm not gonna mold myself to be someone different to fit there. Um, The role that is right for me is gonna be where I can show up as me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I made that commitment when I decided to, 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 to interview for AMP, right? Um, and every day, I make that commitment to myself, and it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, because sometimes it's a lot easier to be like, well, I'm DED, so I said, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Or- and sometimes you
2: want to do that, right? And sometimes it's just like... Because, <laughs> you
1: know? No, my team would not tolerate no, this. No, my, <laughs> my, team, my team would
2: absolutely not tolerate that either. But it's just like, you know, it's it's, it's work. Yeah, it's, it's work. It's work to people different.
1: And also, it, it and we talked a little bit about this, right? Like the showing up work casually, the knowing that you may have to work a little harder to prove yourself if you don't play the game initially. Yeah. And even with my board, I made it a point to, like, make sure my tattoos were showing. I had to wear the same dress through all my interviews because I had gained weight and I was not buying new clothes. I had $28 in my bank account when I came back. So, like... You wear
2: the same dress to all your interviews? All my
1: interviews. And then you know what You're the like, worst part was? It was up. blue and white striped. <laughs> so, like, it was not even, like, a black dress that I could pretend was a different one. I was like, yo, I'm broke. Like, I just went traveling for a year. Yeah. Like, that's the biggest indulgence I'd never even dreamed of in my life. Yeah. And so... No, I, I fully showed up like, you going to know who I cursed through my interviews. I was like, you're same. just going to know who I am. Fuck it.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same.
1: I try to talk to folks, though, a little bit about the fact that if you choose to do that, like everybody has that choice to make, right? If you choose to do that, your job will be harder. Yeah. You are you may not get that 200000 if you're an ED. You may not get that $200,000 a, jo- uh, a year job. Or even if you're on the front lines, you may not get that 60, 70k job because yeah. people are expecting you to play a specific part when you represent them. Yep. And so, like, what are you willing to compromise if your thing is authenticity?
2: Yeah, I I agree. So I I don't have a college degree, right? And mm-hmm. I'm very honest about that. Um, you know, when I take roles, because I, you know, I really I really believe I'm just like I I learned how to do my job like. On the job. You uh-huh. know, I've been doing this work for a really long time. And so, like, you're not going to tell me that because I have this credential that that's any more valid than the fact that I've been doing this for, like, at this stage 20 years, right? Um, but when I – and so my background, like I said, is in youth development. So I've also been very honest with uh, with young people about that. Like, I don't, I don't have a degree, right? However, what I say to them is, like, I'm not saying that you need to take my route. It was a lot harder uh-huh. for me right like there are privileges that i was able to lean on um you know like i'm i'm well spoken you know like <laughs> i have i have a pretty good vocabulary like i'm i have charisma right like i i know what i'm talking about in in, in certain cases and so like i i have light skin privilege right i was born here <laughs> you uh-huh. know i am a small woman that's like you know like, I am, like, aesthetically pleasing to some extent, mm-hmm. right? Like, there are all, these, all all are things that, like, I'm just, like, these are privileges. These are privileges right. that I have, right, over other folks. Um, I'm cisgendered, right? Like, I have two children, right? I'm, I've, I live a pretty normal life, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's easier in some cases for me. And it was also really hard because mm-hmm. I'm a brown woman, <laughs> right. you know? I'm a brown woman. I, I have tattoos. I have piercings, you know? Like, um, I don't have a degree. And so I i am honest about the fact that like i worked my ass off and it took me longer to get to where i'm at than i probably would have if i had a degree right i had probably done jobs that i got paid so much less money for than some of my counterparts who had less experience but they had a degree right and it is about to me ultimately is like you have to choose your own adventure but you have to be really honest about what you're willing to give and what you're Mm -hmm. willing to take
1: I just want to plug alternatives for a sec because you know we only pay a $1,000 difference for a degree versus not. Yeah, so we actually, this is constantly a controversial topic. Mm -hmm. Our entry-level salary is 51K. Mm -hmm. If you have a master's degree in our therapist, you're at 52K. Mm -hmm. And so you can have a high school diploma at 51 or you can have an MSW at 52. And because our goal is not market value, our goal is making sure everybody gets paid a thrivable wage. Yeah. And what folks don't think about when they're ta- one of the things I read really early on was around how um, there is this removal of degree requirements, but folks are not paying people. They remove the degree, but they also lowered the salary hmm. because they're like, you don't have this credential, hmm. and that doesn't allow Black and Brown people to build wealth. Yeah, because you still don't have extra money because the you may have access to the job, yeah. but the pay is so low, yeah. right? And so we made a really conscious effort to not punish people. We're like, the skills that we require are still the same. The job you're doing is still the same. Yeah. So why would we punish you for not having the degree? And then we do offer student loan repayment for the folks that do have a degree. So like, it kind of, yeah, we're able to do that, right? Because we're larger. Um, But that was one of the things because I was just joking about this. So my, one of my folks is also an MSW and we were, trying to hire into a position yesterday and we were reading our child welfare license again. We read it every single time. And cuz we were trying to make sh- make the MSW requirement disappear mm. <laughs> every time we reread it cuz we want we know who we want for the we we were trying to figure out who we want for the position and what we were posting for. And it was really funny because the reason we're required this license is because we have to place young people who are in crisis and temporary shelter and with the goal of permanent housing. Okay. And I'm like, we both went to social work school. It's not like they teach you how to do that in class. <laughs> like, what is the whole point of having this degree?
2: Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, had I finished my degree, right? Because I went to college, I just didn't finish. Mm-hmm. Um, had I followed through, I would have graduated with like a degree in cultural anthropology and like creative writing. <laughs> what, what part of that degree would have helped me in my job right now except maybe have some having some historical knowledge about like people you know like nothing at all like a lot of the stuff that i've had to learn has been like on the job right like mm-hmm. it's just like you know you get a you become an ed and it's like be good at everything right like be an accountant and be like an hr manager and be like you know do all these things mm-hmm. um I would have not. Like, I would They don't have, teach you that in school. They don't teach you any of that stuff in school, They don't right?
1: even really teach you how to manage folks in school, which is, like, the largest part of my job.
2: Yeah. It's the hardest part. hmm It's the hardest part.
1: Yeah. And then on top of it, when I graduated from grad school, I always talk about this. I, like, graduated with $75,000 in student loans. And then... That's like a salary. Yes. <laughs> and... But I was earning... My first job, I was earning, I think... 50k which is a good salary as a director um this is more than 10 years ago now yeah um but it wasn't enough to keep up with my payments like and so I'm on I'm like putting the stuff in forbearance and so when the pandemic started and our interest was frozen I was at I owed 115,000 so I was one of the folks that was forgiven under the PSLF waiver yeah but the fact that I had 10 years of payment, right? That's how I got forgiven, 10 years of payment, and I owed more than what I started with. Yeah. And so I always talk about like, again, yes, it will be harder and also It was easier for me to move up, but I never made enough to pay off my student loans, right? But then again, my position is also MSW required. So I wouldn't even have this position if I didn't have the degree. Yeah, because of the child welfare license. Oh, okay, yeah. And so, like, there's so much to consider. I went back to school because I started realizing that so many of the positions I wanted were MSW required. Hmm. And so that was a very conscious effort on my end, but I had my mom's support to do that. So she helped me out with some of my expenses while I went back to school. And then I racked up the rest of it in debt, obviously. Um, And so these are the experiences that I want folks to talk about because I'm not saying one route is better than the other. I'm saying you have to figure. You have to know all of the information to make the best decision for you.
2: Yep, I say that. I say that all the time to my staff, to like my kid, right? All the time. I have a—he's about to be Um, (laughs) nine—and I think about this often when I think about like the um, the values ideology versus the the values practice, right? Mm -hmm. And I think about it in the space that it shows up to the most, which is like being a parent. Um, where it's like I feel these things right and like I have a very strong disposition towards a certain ideology but then when I have to practice these things as somebody who is responsible for another human am I making the same decisions right like Uh is it is it good enough in that space and I think about that often when I think about how like you know my kids still eight right but ten years from now are we gonna have a conversation about college and Am I going to give my kid the same speech? Right. Am I gonna say to my kid, like, I didn't go, I didn't finish college, right? And this is where I'm at, but here are all the things that I, mm-hmm. I went through, right? And and also like you could go to college and let's weigh out your options. You know, I'm not I don't feel like he has to go to college, right? Like right. I'm just like you don't have to do that if you don't want to do that. Um, you can go into a trade, you can you can take the longer route, but at the end of the day, to me it's just like you have to make you can, a real choice is only available if you have all of the information. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I like to think, right? I
1: completely agree.
2: If you have all the information, then it's a real choice. If you don't have all the information, then it's a false choice, right? right? And to me, I think about that, like, how am I going to provide this way out for my own kid mm-hmm. when the day comes and respect the decision that they make, right? And respect, like, yeah, he might... Like, well, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to rack up at that at ten years from now. God knows how much it's going to cost. Oh to God, go to college, <laughs> right? But like, or not, and how am I going to show up? And how am I going to be supportive either
1: mm-hmm. way? It's interesting because one of the things that you and I have talked about is the capacity building with the anti-racist lens. Mm-hmm. And for me, going back to that, one of uh, we t- I mentioned to you that we have our leadership pipeline. You're about to partner with us on that. Yeah. But the main reason creating that type of space was really important to me was because how many times do decisions trickle down in nonprofits and folks don't know what it means for them? And so, like, I like to share financial statements. I share salaries. I share logic. Um, We had a steering committee for a strategic plan so that it wasn't just executive team making decisions. Like, I try to involve folks in all pieces of it because I'm like, when I'm telling you something – Um, I want you to have all of the pieces. I want you to know how to read a 990 if you're going Mm. for another job. And so I think oftentimes we do folks a disservice by not sharing all of that because we're trying to protect ourselves and we don't know how it's going to land. But I was like, I need you to know all of that just yeah. so that you can make an informed decision here. You may not want to work here by the time I'm sharing, done sharing all this information, yeah. but at least you made an informed decision about what's good for you.
2: Yeah, it's really hard. I think that the, that's one of the things about leadership that feels really difficult to me um, is like, not the sharing part, but like not feeling a responsibility for how people take it and decide mm-hmm. what they want to do with it, right? Um, mm-hmm. That to me is the scary part. It, I, growing up, I was the kid, and my dad talks about this all the time, when I had my son, he was like, I hope he does to you what you did to me, right? I was the kid who asked why for everything. Like, I think I that's an
1: eldest kid. child thing, because I was the same way.
2: Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad would say, like, I would ask a question, like, why is this guy, this, you know, blue? And he'd be like, because whatever. And mm-hmm. I'd be like, why? Why? Or, like, I would see, you know, he points out, like, I would just point out, um, like, unhomed uh, people under the Vidoc. And I'd be like, why are they there? And he'd explain to me, and I'd be like, why, why, why? And eventually, I would ask why so many times that he'd be like, hey, Aunt it is, it it just is, right? And so I'm still that person, right? I ask why for everything. Like, I want to know, right? Again, back to the informed decision making. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to ask all my questions so that I feel like I have the information that I need to make the decisions that I want to make. and I try to have that same disposition with the staff, right? When we bring somebody on board, I do a whole like one-hour session with them about like how did this happen, mm-hmm. you know? How did we get here? Um, where does our money come from? Um, what is why are we doing anti-racism? What does that mean to us, right? Because anti-racism can mean something different to anybody that you ask Mm -hmm. but what is our frame specifically what does that look like in practice you know what is the vision what's the what's the strategic direction that we're going in like was the board mad you know like all Mm -hmm. the things I try to go through that um with folks because I want them to understand like why we're here like why are we here why are we doing the things that we that we're doing and are you down essentially (laughs) like Mm -hmm. are you down with this um and I try, you know, we're growing, right? And so I would love, you know, even just your thoughts around this, but like we're growing and if we went from like two people to like three people and then all of us within a year, this year. And then now we're like about to be seven people, mm-hmm. right? And to me it's just like now how do I manage that same culture with like more growing and growing and growing and mm-hmm. growing, right? It's just like how do I continue to like share all the information? What information do I share? What's applicable, what's not applicable, mm-hmm. right? What's HR? You know, like all the, <laughs> all the what's sensitive, right? Like all the things, um, because I, I still wanna keep that yeah. culture. Um, and as an ED, sometimes I feel burdened by not making the wrong decision. Like by being like, well, am I supposed to, right? And even then having to question myself on like, well, supposed to by whose standards, right? Right, right. And being able to
1: challenge that, because we were, especially if you've been in his work for so long, you've been, you've had that pushed on you for so long. It, I have to co- consistently check myself and surround by myself by, with folks that are willing to argue and push back and stuff like that in case I'm wrong. Yeah. I don't think I'm ever wrong, but that's a whole other story.
2: <laughs> um, the oldest child has <laughs> syndrome again.
1: Right. That's coming out <laughs> strong, right? I have two younger brothers. So... I, yeah, and for us, it's going from fifty-five employees to about one hundred and sixty. Wow! And so we're really struggling with the being able to keep that same level of transparency because information doesn't spread the same way that it did at fifty-five. No, it just did not. I don't know everybody's name anymore. I'm terrible with names on a good day.
2: Uh, no that's a big staff i mean that's a lot yeah. of pressure it's like yeah there's, there's one you right so right. everyone's gonna know who you are but then like 150 everybody
1: does people. not know who i am and i've learned that because i used to assume that which is a little egocentric i think now in hindsight so yeah. now i introduce myself
2: <laughs> they're like what department do you work in
1: <laughs> yeah i literally get that question they're like so what's your role at alternatives i was like so one of my um my development director was actually bringing up today because we do like series uh, like webinars on things, topics like we did one on student loan forgiveness, we have one on uh, home buyership because one of our uh, goals is the idea of closing the wealth gap and she was like, we should have one on how to interview and like the research you do beforehand because I literally have folks come on board and be like so what is your role? And I'm like, so "So I'm the executive director and they're like, okay, tell me about that.
2: (laughs) That's funny, that's kind of humbling though, isn't it?
1: It it, it's good, right? Like they're asking, and so like, but yeah, that's that's a little egocentric for me to assume.
2: I mean, it's not a (laughs) it's it's not a far fetched expectation,
1: (laughs) but it's taught me a little about assumptions, right? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. at the very least,
1: right? And so like, I like now make it a point, but it's also really funny when people don't realize, and they start having uh, one employee talked about interviewing with me, and like. He basically told me I was bougie because my dream car would be a Jaguar. And then afterwards was telling other folks, like, I didn't know that was the ED. (laughs) Had I known, I would have had a completely different conversation. And so for me, I'm like, it's fun when people don't realize it because they're – I don't lead with Bessie the ED. I'm just like showing up as me. Yeah. You're looking at the ED title when you see me and I forget that. Yeah, folks. that's hard, mm-hmm.
2: that's hard. And I think that is part of like bringing it back to the anti-racism, right? I think it's like in all, in all the roles, right? But, but specifically when you're the ED, right? It's like having to own privilege and mm-hmm. power. Mm-hmm. To me, that's step one, right? It's just, like, I'm the ED, so I have to be really thoughtful around, like, how I interact with folks and also my expectations because because there's already this, like, the ED, you know? <laughs> and and you don't necessarily want that, right? It's just, right. like, you don't have to change your answer mm-hmm. because I'm the ED versus, like, I'm your colleague. Or, I mean, I'm, I'm your colleague, right, right? right? I'm still your colleague. It's just different, right? And so I think, like... When for us, like when we're talking about anti-racism, like for me, it's just like it's a lot of work to constantly have to be thinking about like how am I showing up? What are the things that I'm saying? Uh, you know. What are the things that I'm doing, like mm-hmm. not just the things that I'm saying, but what are the things that I'm doing, and how am I making sure that I'm not upholding the very things that we talk about not wanting to uphold, right? Mm-hmm. So everything from like the way that I show up and dress, right? How I interact with staff. Am I making sure that like I'm not sitting in my office all day with the door closed, right? Um, do my conversations with staff look the same as they do with like my board members, right? You know, and, like, with funders mm-hmm. and with other f- and community partners that come into play, right? Like, I think it's really important to do that. Like, when sometimes I'm sending emails in the middle of the night and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to send this. I'm going to just schedule it to go out first thing in the I'm morning.
1: I'm terrible at that. But I'm I usually really only it. do it with the E-team. I try yeah. not to do it with anybody else.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. But even then, I'm just like... My E-team's fine ignoring me. <laughs> <laughs> so... I So sometimes I'm like, well, like, if you send me an email at 10 o'clock at night, like, that's you, right? But then what I have to remember is that, like, that's a privilege. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a privilege. Because I'm not going to look at them and say, like, oh, well, I have to respond because, Mm -hmm. like, because you're in your role, right? But they might do that to me. I think what's hard, too, is, like, acknowledging privilege
1: and also dealing with your own baggage that comes with, being a person of color. So I was I was thinking quite a bit about our conversation around the right to rest and wellness that we had, right? Mm-hmm. Because after I got off with you, I was doing my like doom scrolling on Instagram and there was this I little, love little a good doom scroll. <laughs> and there was this little meme that popped up that was like my ancestors didn't immigrate for us to be some broke bitches. And like it was really funny the way that it was worded, but there I think there's something about that because in my background Um, What I was going to bring up is my mom is a housekeeper. Mm. And so it's hard for me. Like, I I remember with site visits, every rich white person reminded me of my mom's boss. And my mom would take me with her her to work and be like, don't say anything. Don't Mm. move. Like, sit there, read your book, and, like, don't touch anything, right? And so, like, when I would get in front of these funders, my boss would be like, why aren't you saying anything? I'm like, that's what I've been taught my whole life, Mm. right? Or else my mom would lose her job. And so, like, thinking about, like, how hard my parents worked to get me to where I was, it took me a long time to be able to be like, yes, but, you know, I can take a vacation. I can take rest. I don't have to work the long hours that my mom does to get me there. And so, like, what is ingrained in us, not just from a rest perspective, but, like, the baggage that we bring in. So we're wrestling with our own identities that are marginalized while also acknowledging privilege, right? Like, yeah. and trying to reconcile the two.
2: Yeah, it's hard. It's so hard. I mean, our staff, we're, we're a small staff, right? But we're all people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, all women identifying, right? And so there's even just that alone, right? Like there's 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 work and labor that women do often right and so there's there's a lot of baggage behind that and you know we we do two wellness weeks i think i was telling you this the other day um we do two wellness weeks a year um for staff and at this last one uh we came back and we we do like staff check-ins um on mondays and the question was like how did you you know before we left it was like what are you going to do for yourself mm-hmm. you know over your wellness week and when we came back it was like okay did you do the thing right and we ended up getting into a conversation because folks were, you know so the folks were like i had a really hard time unplugging or letting go because i left all these like looming emails and like to-do lists that didn't get completed and so like i spent a lot of my time thinking about that right and and i was like well I was just like, okay, well, it's going to happen when it happens. Like, I'm just taking my week, right?
1: That's your Gemini sign right there. It's That's... true. I'm
2: like there's always going to be work, guys. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be work, right? And I mean, and I say that sometimes just like to be funny, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's I feel like, you know, 30% of my job is to just like make people laugh. Um <laughs>
1: my E-team tried to tell me I was not funny. I'm still offended by that.
2: Oh no. I would be I would be so sad if they told me that. Mm-hmm. Um but you know i was trying to be funny but at the same time i was like listen like we don't need to earn this like and mm-hmm. you know, this is me using my privilege right as the ed mm. like i'm the person that's telling you like you do not need to earn this rest and for me it's really important similarly like i grew up with working class parents um and we didn't we didn't have shit we didn't have anything like you know there were i i remember parts of my life where we were like i was like damn we 100% like made powdered milk like, and thinking about this as an adult, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking back to my childhood and being like, damn, we made powdered milk. Like, that's crazy. We must have been like, poor, poor, right? <laughs> like, powdered milk, I still can taste it. I feel traumatized by the idea of it. And, you know, I have, I, have, I have kids now. And so, like, when I think about, like, wellness and I think about, like, the types of things that I, I want to do and even, like, early on, like, in my career, like, I've been doing this work for so long, but there were moments in time where, like, I was only working part-time and then part-time I was doing housekeeping, Mm -hmm. right and me (laughs) born here you know like you're the whole thing i was talking about well-spoken all this other shit right i was going to people's houses in, in indiana and cleaning these like mini mansions um and that was a really humbling experience for me right and so when i think about wellness i think about all the things that we that we go through and also like the onus on us to like do that personal work you know yeah so that we're not showing up with that and having those expectations reflected on the people that, like, we serve. And when I say I serve, I mean my staff, right? Like, they're, they're my staff, technically, but, like, ultimately, like, I serve you. Right. Like, I got to do the things that I got to do to make sure that you can do the things you want to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm the person that's, like, texting my staff when, when they're supposed to be on a day off and I see emails coming from them, and I'm like, stop, stop emailing me. I'm going to disable Oh, Oh, I, I
1: send those emails out, too. I don't
2: right i'm just like no,
1: no i'm like i'm literally like stop why are you working right oh, yeah, now yeah, i yeah, can yeah. see that yeah yeah
2: i'm like stop stop i'm mm-hmm. gonna disable your email like stop <laughs> it and th- that's literally a text that i've sent before i'm going to disable your email right when when my associate director she went on on paternal we had leave. to
1: do that to somebody i just thought about it yeah, yeah we did
2: when when Anna went on on uh on paternal leave um on parental leave rather uh she, she was like okay I'm logging off of my email and I was like okay great and then I changed her password
0: <laughs> and I didn't tell anybody and I was like I'm changing your password
2: because I want to be very clear here that like you're on break and you don't need to be worried about us like we want you to rest we want you to like enjoy your time off like you are not we don't have the expectation that you're gonna be here right Take your time. And so I changed her I changed her password and I think she texted me and was like, Did you change my password? And I'm like, How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, how do you know? But to me it's just like having to say, like, listen, like we especially in the last three years, it's like there's a there's a lot of stuff happening in the world
0: mm-hmm. for people
2: that look like us. Mm-hmm. And whether it's something that is directly happening to us, doesn't matter. We feel it.
0: Mm-hmm. Like we
2: feel it, like there's a level of ownership, there's a heaviness that mm-hmm. comes with it. And we have to acknowledge that. And we have to acknowledge that, like, it weighs on us as human beings. And we need to be able to give ourselves the space to, like, think and cry and breathe and sleep and, you know, do all of the things in order to, like, be the people that we want to be, ultimately. Like, I don't know, maybe it's a little fluffy, but I'm just, like, I, like... I've seen this meme, speaking of that, right? It's, like, the, the whole, like... Take your time, because if you die tomorrow, they're going to replace you. But it's like, it's true. It is. It's true.
1: I had an employee collapse in the workplace some years ago, and I had to sit her down. And I was like, yo, because it turned out to just be, we took her to the hospital, turned out to just be stress, And I was like, dude, I need you to understand that if you can't come to work anymore, I will hire somebody else.
2: It's true, though. But who's
1: going to replace you at home? And like she's like, I've never had a supervisor said that to me. Say that to me, and I was like, dude, you need to take care of yourself. Like that is the thing. These are just jobs. You can get another one.
2: It's not that serious.
1: I think so many people take the work so personally, but there's so many organizations doing great work that like you can find a fit for you. It doesn't. You don't have to sit here and jeopardize your health for you
2: well and it's also like the idea that like you can care about the work right like i care deeply mm-hmm. i care deeply about the work but i also care about myself right and i'm not a martyr to the work i used to be right but I you're
1: used. not effective at the work if you're not taking care of yourself
2: exactly exactly and it, that that was i'm not and i'm not going to act like that's a, a, a like a key that i've always had right like i think i i and many times I've, I've been the person that's, like, overworked myself and been stressed and, like, done and, and been a martyr to the cause. Right? Well, I'm sure
1: my assistant who's in the room right now is side-eyeing me because she had to clear out my calendar to force me to take a vacation. But, like, you need those folks <laughs> around you. You need those folks, right? And
2: ultimately <laughs> it's just, like, we're not always going to be good at it, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not always good at it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but it's, like, are, but are we building a culture around each other that values this thing mm-hmm. so that we can hold ourselves accountable to it? Right. I, I don't I uh, this year, my birthday passed. Right. And I wasn't going to take the day off. I didn't say anything to anybody about it being my birthday or anything. I was just like, I'm not going to take the day off, whatever. Um, and so we usually it was on a Monday. We usually do internal meetings on Monday. And then like uh, somebody was like, oh, you know, I'm going to cancel these meetings because it's her birthday. And I was like, I'm not taking the day off. And there, and everyone else is like, yes, you are it's your birthday. Like, what are you going to do? And I was like, show up to work like I do every other day. Right. And they all canceled their meetings with me. So even (laughs) if I wasn't going to like take the day off, they all on their part canceled on me. And I was like, well, fuck, I guess I got to take the day off now. And, you know, I wasn't going to. But then I was like, you know what? I'm glad I did. And I'm glad that they forced me to do that. And I'm glad that we have the kind of culture and that we have like gotten to a place that amongst ourselves, like we are valuing rest we're valuing like off time we're valuing like you know uh celebration and joy because i think those are acts of resistance as well like we always have so much shit that's like bringing us down Mm -hmm. like you know to pull up the things that bring us joy i think are important birthdays usually do that right and so like for me it's just like we are building a culture where folks are saying you need to take the day off hey Ed, (laughs) right take the day off like great. it's your birthday we'll see you tomorrow right and and those are the moments where I'm like alright yeah you're right let mm-hmm. me go get a massage and that's what
1: I did <laughs> yeah no I definitely have I think a team that does that which is great because I am also not always good at it but believe it or not we are oh, at goodness.
2: time oh my goodness
1: so are there any final words or takeaways that you want to leave folks with
2: well, now I feel like I gotta sing but
1: uh... <laughs> everybody <laughs> is not Xavier <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, um, no, I mean, I think that, like, any final words, um, I just, I feel like, you know, I think it's important to, as people of color, right, and, and I, I say this as, like, an ED, right, as, as mm-hmm. a founding ED that, <laughs> right, I think that, like, there's always, there's always, unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, there's always going to be work to do, there's always going to be shit, <laughs> there's mm-hmm. always going to be something that we're, like, fighting, for, against, with, um, mm-hmm. and I think that, like, and that's sometimes sad, but it's a beautiful thing. To me, it brings camaraderie. To me, it brings, like, allyship. To me, it, it shows, like, you know, ultimately, at, at, at the depth and at the core, like, our commitment to each other as humans, and at the same time, I think that it's really important for us to, like, start with us. Mm -hmm. right to take that time to take that day off to find joy to 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 put ourselves above you know to show up authentically right I think those are the radical changes that like they're not the most like impactful and I say that in quotes right um because it doesn't necessarily do things for other people but like what as marginalized people when we show up as our true selves like what is it actually saying Mm -hmm. like what are the shifts that are happening even if we don't see them in real time um, and I feel very privileged to be able to to be now in a space and in, in, in a point in my life where where I feel like I have that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know what kind of impact it's going to make ultimately, right? But, but for me, at the very least, like, for me, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's good enough. So thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here with you and to have a conversation.
1: Where can folks find you
2: online? Oh, my God, they can't. We just had this conversation. Or Amped. Can find
1: Amped. <laughs> so promote Amped. So um, the conversation we had for folks is that she's a lurker, and that's it. Yeah, that's so it. So am I, so boundaries, I can't judge.
2: Boundaries. I am mm. not for consumption. Um, <laughs> uh, you can find us at, um, our website is uh, org or our Instagram handle, AmpChicago, Twitter, AmpChicago, or we don't do Twitter anymore.
1: X? Um, <laughs> no, we don't do that. Either. Oh, you, We're just okay. off. Okay. Um, um,
2: What's the new one? I don't know. Threads? Yeah, I think we're on that now. Shout out to Anna, my associate director. I have
1: no idea anything about it yet. Me so. neither.
2: All these things that I'm saying, I don't know anything about. <laughs> but my team would be upset if I didn't say that. So we're on Threads, Instagram, Facebook, all am Chicago.
1: All right. Well, thank you for being here.
0: Thank you.